Welcome to Happily Ever After is just the beginning. Keeping your relationship not just together, but happy, and we mean truly happy, is part art and part science. You've come to the right place. Here's your host, Leslie Dorries. Intimacy. When I say that word, what instantly comes to mind? For many people, it's sex. And yes, sex can be a form of intimacy, but you can have sex without being intimate, and you can be intimate without having sex or any physical contact for that matter. And I think that's part of the problem in many relationships because what is thought of as intimacy is just one small slice of what it actually is. So if you or your partner think of intimacy as the same as sex, you might be missing out on what is truly possible for your relationship. So to help unpack what intimacy is and help you get more of it in your marriage, I'm joined by Dr. Catherine Aponte. She's a clinical psychologist and the author of the book, A Marriage of Equals, How to Achieve Balance in a Committed Relationship. So, Dr. Aponte, Catherine, thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about this really important topic. Oh, I'm delighted, Leslie, to uh, have an opportunity to speak to you and share some of my thoughts about intimacy. Yeah. Uh, so you wrote a recent article that appeared at the Good Men Project titled How to Enhance Intimacy in Your Relationship, and, of course, that caught my eye immediately. So, <laughs> uh, can you provide a definition for what intimacy actually is? Well, how I think about intimacy is as an interpersonal interaction between the couple, between partners or a marital couple. I I don't see it as a thing. I see it as an ongoing process between people and uh, sort of what you say, what people seem to get wrong about it is uh, that as you've noticed, that their notion of intimacy is too limited and uh, sometimes think of it as more like having sex, having some, some uh, event happening, whereas I see it as an interpersonal process that is an ongoing activity between uh, husband and wife or partners. Well, and I love that idea because, you know, it – I mean – I talk about intimacy with my couples as, you know, there's, there is physical intimacy, that's true. Of I course. talk about emotional intimacy, intellectual intimacy, spiritual intimacy. I mean, there's all kinds of ways to be intimate, and, and we are actually have some level of intimacy with people who aren't necessarily our spouses, although we do like, many of us like to keep the physical intimacy within our relationship. But, but you know, people who we're really good friends with, we, we, there's a certain level of intimacy. So, you know, I, right. I, I, like the, I like the idea that it's kind of more of, a, of an action or a thought process. Is, is that kind of I think, right? I think the important thing is to think of it as a process. And uh, it's, it's a dynamic uh, it's a dynamic interaction and one that involves, uh, first of all, one partner or person disclo- disclosing or sharing something about themselves, and then the partner uh, attends to that disclosure. Um, for example, in the article that I wrote, I talked about uh, a, a fellow, uh, I called him Lucas, 
disclosing a personal worry he had about something important to him at work. And his wife, whom I call Sarah, invites further conversation uh, by paying attention. So the dynamic is self-disclosure by one partner and paying attention by the other. So in some ways it's rather simple, but that's, that is the <laughs> dynamic. That's the nature of the process that occurs that sets the stage for intimacy to occur. So uh, it's a kind of interaction that promotes intimacy because one of you reveals something personal about yourself, your partner responds attentively to this disclosure, the interaction can become reciprocal, which encourages mm-hmm. more intimacy, and then intimacy can support the continued disclosure and paying attention to each other. Well, and I, you know, and and as you were talking about this, I'm I'm thinking about all the ways that this goes haywire. <laughs> uh, and and sometimes you know, and sometimes it's starting just with the person who you, know, you talk about. And so I'm I'm assuming that that description that that um, what you just described is, is what you described in the article as an intimate interpersonal interaction. And that's exactly and what you're saying. Right. Exactly. That is, that's the basis for real intimacy. And so those are the elements. I think you can think of those as the elements, the interpersonal elements, the self-disclosure and the paying attention. Okay. And so, you, but, but you started out and you talked about, I guess it was Lucas who comes up and, and says something and, you know, about something that he's struggling with at work, and you use right. the B word, the vulnerable word. And that seems to be where a lot of people get scared. You know, I mean, you know, since, since Brene Brown's TED Talk, I mean, I'm sure, I mean, and those of us in the business have been talking about vulnerability for a long time, but she kind of put a spotlight on it um, a few years back with her TED Talk about the importance of vulnerability. Um, but it is a scary thing to do. Well, yeah, and uh, the, I, uh, I certainly know of Brene Brown. My uh, concept of self-disclosure is really follows a psychologist back in the 70s, actually a fellow by the name of Sidney Gerard who studied this, and he talks about it as being transparent, about allowing others to see you. And I uh-huh. assume that that is really what people are talking about, that that is, that is taking a vulnerable stance to allow people to see you uh, mm-hmm. and to be transparent about yourself. And I like the word transparency because it's relevant in today's world. Uh, but it is, I mean, so I think another way of ta- thinking about what you're, ta- what you're saying is that it is uh, a risk to, to, in fact, be transparent and to expose yourself. But you really cannot have intimacy if you do not have that. Well, and that's and, and you know, and then as you're also describing it, and and I was I was kind of flipping the the genders here, which maybe I shouldn't do. Right. No. Right. No. Absolutely. But I, but I do know that sometimes when you know I'm, I'm thinking about a a, a very standard um, interaction between a man and a woman, where a woman will say, you know, come share something, you know, a challenge that she's having, and then the man wants to fix it. Right. And that's what, uh, paying attention. And I really go into that in uh, the article and that is paying attention is really 
has nothing to do with fixing it. Paying attention is not being empathetic. It's not understanding. It's not being helpful. It's just, and it's not fixing anything. Mm-hmm. It, paying attention in the way that um, it's been described that I like is paying attention is noticing something without trying to change it, not trying to, as you say, fix it. And here's another, some other ways of describing attention. It's patient and it's mm. kind. Okay? There's wow. no rush, no burden, no criticism. So that if that self-disclosing person is willing to take that initial risk and the responder is paying attention as opposed to empathizing, which is a different phenomenon and much more complex, or without fixing, then the dynamic between these people is set for intimacy, for further self-disclosure, paying attention, and that being a reciprocal process between the, the couple. And so the way you describe the um, intimate interpersonal interaction in the article is that that one person does this, the other one pays attention, then they self, I mean, so it's this, it's this reciprocal process of disclosure, paying attention, disclosure, paying attention. But it has to be an, or, it has to be an, uh, Leslie, it has to be an organic process. I am very anti-transactional, you know, uh, tit-for-tat mm-hmm. notions about mm-hmm. relationships. And in my, um, I have a blog, which you'll allow me to promote a little later, <laughs> I have a blog on psychology today, and I talk about what the nature, be, the difference between interacting and transacting in uh, one of the posts that I wrote. That's a very, very fundamental, profound thing. And much too much advice about to couples right now is a, is a, of a transactional nature. And I am really uh, do not promote that. Uh, yeah, and 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 I'm probably right there with you um, because. And and it's and you know this idea that if I if I do something for you, then that means you have to do something for me. That, I'm assuming that's what you're talking about in terms of the that's exactly correct. That's exactly correct. The quid pro quo, which we all know now, and right. <laughs> uh, what that quid pro quo is is the the philosophical and psychological and uh, historical basis for that is based on self interest. And uh, so uh, your only goal is to, in fact, get what you want, and you're willing to trade to get it. And then, unfortunately, what, when people don't realize it is, well, if, if all your only value to me is what you give to me, then you're, you're exchangeable, you're disposable, and, and my interest is only in myself. So this Ow. is, yeah. Re- yeah, it's reciprocal as opposed to transactional. And, yeah, and it's an and, organic yeah. process. You know, you can help under describe that organic, perhaps even better than I can, but it just flows naturally because of your natural interest in which each other is saying. You're, you're wanting to disclose to this partner because you feel uh, in the hands of somebody who is willing to listen, to help, support, etc. And the other person is willing to, is interested in what you have to say and is wants to be there to be of whatever help that you define is helpful. So, you know, as, as, you're, as you're talking about this, I had this thought that mm-hmm. in going back to what I was talking about is, as many people think of intimacy as sex or physical right. interaction, 
that that's almost that that would almost kind of fall into that transactional kind of um, framework that you were describing, which is so limiting. Yes, it is, and I think that uh, a lot of advice about sex is is transactional, and it's partially mm-hmm. transactional because it's too grounded in. Uh, uh, I don't know. I don't know what kind of word. I got to be careful what kind of language I use. <laughs> about old ideas about sex, which and what's what is female sex and what is male sex. What is desire? What is masculine or male desire and female desire? And uh, again, I write about some of this, and I write a lot about this in the book, actually. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, there are, there's new research that shows that we have much too much limited ideas about what uh, male desire is and what female desire is. And if, in fact, you set up too much of a differentiation, because I am not a gen- I promote, I do not promote strong gender differentiation mm-hmm. uh, as the basis for traits, as the basis for how you interact, as the basis of how you live your life. And if you set up too much two extreme differences between men and women with respect to sex, you are you force them into an exchange model oh, by absolutely. definition. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, and and the thing that I like about your description about intimacy being this inter intimate interpersonal interaction that flows organically is that the, because that creates a sense of connection and a sense of transparency, as, as you so nicely put it, that then makes anything physical flow more organically and more, I mean, I know that this is one of the challenges in terms of, if we're talking about male-female desire kind of thing, about, you know, this, this whole, the, the feminine side of it is, is wanting that connection. And, and the truth of it is, is that men want that connection too. That's the, Absolutely. The idea that split this out in some kind of weird, you know, way. It's like men want that connection too. Absolutely um, they do. Now, it is, a, it may be a more risk-taking uh, act for them simply because of, mm-hmm. of early training and so forth. But then again, that whole gets, gets to being willing to be vulnerable. And yeah. um, the other thing that pre, 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 not precludes, predates uh, self-disclosure, I think, is self-awareness. And, uh, you know, one has to have a process. And, again, I talk a lot about self awareness and uh, how, to, how to understand yourself and how to understand what your own re- personal reactions are that can disrupt any kind of organic mm-hmm. process between couples is there your own historically grounded personal reactions, what we typically right. call taking something personally. And I talk yeah. a lot about that in the book and, and really describe how you can get out of that. So there's some um, work that may need to be done in a coupleship if either one of you find yourself uh, unable to be vulnerable because of personal fears or reactions, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So but uh, those are like the precursors to being able to do this, to be willing to take the risk to be vulnerable. And then once you can do that, you can set up this kind of wonderful uh process of intimacy as this dynamic between uh, the two of you. 
Absolutely. This is Happily Ever After is just the beginning on webtalkradio.net. I'm Leslie Dorries, and I'm talking with author and clinical psychologist Dr. Catherine Aponte about intimacy and its importance in a committed relationship. And if intimacy, or more to the point, lack of it, is an issue in your marriage, please understand you're not alone. But it doesn't have to stay that way. And if you would really like to do something about it, then I invite you to take a moment and contact me to schedule your free, no-obligation, create-your-happily-ever-after strategy session. You can reach me by email at leslie, L-E-S-L-I, at foundationscoachingnc.com. That's F-O-U-N-D-A-T-I-O-N-S, coaching, N is in Nancy, C is in charlie.com. Or you can reach me by phone at area code 919-924-0463. Again, that's 919-924-0463. And I want to get back to this really terrific conversation about intimacy. Um, Catherine, I know we talked a little bit before the break about the two concepts of self-disclosing and then the concept of paying attention. And I know that you describe them as important aspects of intimacy, but can you delve a little bit deeper into each one of those? Well, I think self-disclosure may include things like talking about your own personal history, important life milestones, past positive as well as negative or traumatic experiences, failed relationship fears. Um, that And the importance of those are very personal feelings, mm-hmm. experiences, and thoughts. And when we do that, we set the stage to create a bond with the other person. So I think that that's an important, uh, important aspect of who we are that we want in, a rela- in an intimate relationship. That's what we want to be able to do is share our personal experiences, good and bad, uh, healthy, not healthy, <laughs> right. whoever, whoever we are, and have somebody, again, like you were saying, pointing out earlier, that you don't try to fix it and you mm-hmm. don't try to empath overly too quickly empathize. You just pay attention. When I say, and I, and I want to emphasize when I say just pay attention, that is a very profound thing to do, to be able to pay attention to a partner's most intimate thoughts and feelings. Well, and because, because as somebody self-discloses to you, that can bring up, your own stuff, and isn't right. that what gets in the way of actually just being able to yes, if, and pay attention? Right. If you and this again is that business of when you start to feel yourself. If you start to feel yourself taking something personally, you really need mm-hmm. to stop and step back <laughs> and take some time from for out of that interaction. Let your partner know what you're doing. You take some time out. But when you take time out, you don't just let time pass. You then think through what is going on with me. And again, in my book, I talk a lot about what the nature of that process is. Um, And allow yourself, when you're ready, to go back, paying attention, to be Uh, Mm. non-judgmental. Take the time to learn what Lucas is experiencing and what he would like from her. And one of the interesting things that can happen when you really listen to a partner, either in being intimate or really even in more um, concrete discussions about issues, if you pay attention without 
judge, being judgmental or without trying to fix things or uh, without trying to overemphasize, what you find is you learn a lot about that person that you may not be, have been aware of. And you learn about things that in life or events that you might not have known about yourself. So you increase your own knowledge by listening to your partner. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Because I know before the break you were talking about the importance of self-awareness in, in being right. able to self-disclose because I can't, I can't disclose something that I'm not aware of to start right. with. Although, although in some respects I do believe I am disclosing non-verbally. <laughs> yes, right, right. I think but, that for, for me the most important thing to become uh, self-aware, probably two different kinds of things. One is that notion of, and I, and I take a different perspective on how you identify that. I really do think that whenever you get annoyed, irritated, pissed, miffed, angry, unhappy, mm-hmm. fearful, etc., that you are reacting personally. And oh, yeah. you, you have to step back. You cannot project that out onto the other person. You have to step back and take an inventory. And in my book, I have a, a very clear inventory with instructions on how to go through that and process that. Uh, and every time you do that, you become more self-aware. The more self-aware you become, the more you can pay attention. The more you pay attention, the more you will learn not only about your partner, but about things that, you, that he knows that you may not, or she knows right, that mm-hmm. you may not know so that you expand your whole notion of the world by listening to your partner. Well, and that, and that really addresses what I consider to be one of the biggest challenges of marriage is mm-hmm. that you have these two people who come, who, have, who, who up until the point that they meet each other have had two ex- extremely different experiences, and even once they're together, they don't experience the same thing the same way. And exactly. How, it's how do you deal with that? And you just gave this wonderful description of how to be, I mean, and I talk about becoming curious about your partner. Mm, that's an excellent and, description. Excellent. Excellent know, and, language. And, and that really does, because if I could become curious and interested, that, that, that goes into I'm, I'm willing to pay attention. Exactly. And because I'm seeing this as not as just an opportunity to learn about you, but, but to learn about the world and learn about me as well. Exactly. As opposed to, oh, you're doing something Brilliant. different. Stop it. <laughs> yeah. Yes, exactly. Brilliant analysis. I love it. And uh, one thing as we get a little close, I want to uh, I want to ask and answer the question, does intimacy matter? Is it worth making the effort to go to all of this to increase the intimacy in your relationship? And I think it does matter. And here are a few things that intimacy research has shown intimacy seems to be related to. Uh, it increases caring about another mm-hmm. person, which we've alluded to. It fosters self-awareness in yourself and in your partner, which we've alluded to, it lowers the defenses on both partners, which we have not directly said, but certainly uh, alluded to. And it reduces, I think this is very important, it reduces self-doubt and self-reproach in both partners. How wonderful is that? Can you talk a little bit more about that aspect, how increasing your intimacy does that? Because because that's one of the things, I mean, if, if I could, and, and I do this to myself. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not 
saying that I don't do this, but, but the way we talk to ourselves is really harsh. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. You know, and well, if there's a way to stop you know, to, to be a little bit more generous, both, both to our partners and to ourselves, I, I want to hear it. <laughs> well, I think the very process of self-disclosure about those kinds of intimate things and having somebody not judge you, not evaluate you, not try to fix or change you, but just pay attention and find interest in what you do and value what you do enhances that experience. Or I, I don't actually like this word, but I'm going to use it, validates that experience. Uh-huh. Right? Uh-huh. So I think it is that validation of one's personal experience that by a trusted partner that you value then is the key to reducing that self-doubt and self-reproach. Okay. So, you know, and, and one of my personal goals, and, and you've uh-huh. talked about this, you've talked about this before, you know, is, is to try to manage my judgment <laughs> and really right. actually try to let it go and, right. and I think that that's kind of like my own little personal okay this is this is my quest in life is to is to let go of being judgmental both of myself but also of, you know other people and of myself as well right and and so I think that you know I think that many couples and and you know people start out in their relationships frequently testing this and I and and as we've been talking I've been thinking very clearly about um, when my husband and I first met and and there was Mm -hmm. something that I needed to tell him and I was terrified of telling him and you know and you know and it was like it was like I built this thing up and then when I told him he just he I mean he, he laughed he didn't laugh at me he just kind of laughed he goes is that all that was because uh-huh. you know, this whole buildup, it's like, this is all this is? Because this is not a problem. But it was, right. it, was, it was, I think it was at that moment that I knew I could trust him. Right. However, I, I would also, uh, in that kind of a situation, ask you to inquire what was the nature of that fear. Because that's going to point to something in you that oh, sure. you I feel would, vulnerable would. about. And, and right. while we can... Yeah, I was well, or, but then, but then you have to look at what the nature. What is that experience of rejection about? Where does mm-hmm. that come from? Because he can disapprove of you or disapprove of something you do. That is right. not rejection. If you experience that as rejection, that's your personalized interpretation of that, and that's what you have to look at. And and so I'm a. So I'm going to guess that sometimes instead of somebody looking at that, they project that onto their partner. Right, exactly. And the other thing is, go ahead. I'm sorry. And because if you don't look at that yourself, then you have to go back and back. Each time you feel that self-doubt or that Mm -hmm. fear of rejection, you have to get that external approval. And you need to be able to get that to yourself. Which is which is where a lot of challenge comes in because a lot of people do look to their partners for that to validate like, them and you and and that's asking too much of your partner. It's asking hmm. too much. Okay, so you said you said something and I, I and I really think it's critical because I hear this all the time. Um, 
and and it's and of course it's very easy for me to stand outside with my clients and see it as a whole lot harder when it's happening with me. But that's Ab- absolutely, absolutely. The, the difference, the difference between how to take, how to be able to accept that my partner doesn't approve, is either disappointed or doesn't approve of something that I have done or am doing. But that's not the same thing as rejecting me. That's correct. And, uh, you know, you even have to, and, and, you know, you can agree or disagree with their approval or disapproval, right? Mm -hmm. But it is not rejection. And I really talk a lot about the difference between describing an act and characterizing it. You know, when you say your husband is rejecting you, that is a mm-hmm. characterization of his action. That is, not a de- that is likely not a description of what he said. What he said was, I don't like this, I don't like that. That's uh-huh. what he said. That's the description of it. But, oh, your like char- but your characterization of it as a rejection really points right back to you, Leslie. Right, right back to you. I, yeah, I think that is such a critical... Um, differentiation. Absolutely critical. And people don't really, right, I'm sorry, go ahead, I'm interrupting you. It goes goes to the stories that we tell ourselves. Exactly. Oh, that's exactly right. And I have, well, of course, that's well articulated in the book, but it's also, I've got a list of my uh, 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 posts on uh, let me see if I disagree, but I don't know whether, uh, I guess it may be disagreements are not conflicts. No, that's not it. I can't oh, I, figure oh, thank out. Thank you for saying that. That's, that's my whole thing is like people are going to disagree. That doesn't mean they're in conflict. Oh, thank exactly. you. Exactly. That, that is so, so, that's another kind of thing. But I can't remember which one it is, but there is a whole, uh, even a, a chart, and I think I did this on uh, uh, a post on Good Men Project, too, about the mm-hmm. difference between characterizing and describing and gave several examples of that oh, and, and talked about the is, importance of that. Yeah, that is, that is, so, that, that is such a critical thing, because, and, and, it's actually, you know, and, and I think it's actually what gets people in trouble and it builds the walls between them is that instead of describing an incident, I love that we're characterizing it, we're putting That's it right. kind of harder and what, view on it. And what happens in the and, and that really when that happens you are in conflict. There's no longer a disagreement. It's a conflict because you are characterizing it and that's what your experience of it is. Your partner is sitting there and saying, What the hell is going on here? I, right. I, you know, <laughs> I all I did was say I didn't I didn't I didn't like that. And I think then uh, you what you create is the unfortunate opportunity that your partner then says you're nuts, right? Where did that come from? I'm out of here. Right. You know. And, and so, so I mean, so I, so I love the description of all of this as a process. And, yes. And, and I know that, you know, and, and uh, you know, we're running out of time. And I wish we could continue this conversation. But you're talking about that by following some of these things that we've been talking about, the, the, the self-analysis, the self-disclosure, yes. the paying attention. Right. Right. Just being present, not having to fix or tell tell ourselves bizarre stories based on our own past experiences. That this is how couples can actually really build the intimacy that I think most people get married to have. 
Oh, absolutely. I mean, there are a lot of other reasons. I mean, that's the that's that personal part of marriage is that intimacy. Mm-hmm. I mean, you get married to have kids and to uh, mm-hmm. help each other, support each other in your life goals and so forth mm-hmm. and so on. But intimacy is what will enhance the ability to accomplish all of those things is the nature of that interpersonal process between the two of you enhances your ability to, in fact, each of you individually and simultaneously to, uh, to accomplish your own life plans. Well, that's fantastic. And I know that all of that information is in the book. So can you please tell people where they can get your book and also where they can read more of your, of your posts and your great knowledge on this subject. Uh, the book is, of course, A Marriage of Equals, How to Achieve Balance in a Committed Relationship. I'm really, t- I'm really interested in relationships that uh, are equal, uh, committed, and sustainable over time. Mm-hmm. And the easiest way to, to uh, get the book is uh, through Amazon, but you can get it from your – it's available oftentimes through a local bookstore if you prefer not to buy from Amazon as I do. <laughs> but uh, you can get it from your and you can go Google it and you can find all kinds of book sources where you can buy it Mm -hmm. and the other thing is I have an ongoing blog um, that is called Marriage of Equals on Psychology Today and the best way to access those are probably just to go on Psychology Today and then when you have the search element uh, just search my name and it will show up Terrific. So what I want people to take away is that intimacy has been defined as into, me, you, see. So most of us long to be seen and accepted, especially by our spouses. And unfortunately, as we've been talking about today, a lot of our behaviors keep that from happening. But Dr. Aponte has clearly given us a path to creating intimate interpersonal interactions that will change that. So I hope you found this conversation as valuable as I did. And (laughs) until next week, stay loving.